Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. For this episode, I am joined by comedian, talk show host, and TV producer Johnny McGovern, whose adventures in New York led to sluttery, excitement, first love, and eventually becoming a dirty gay pimp daddy. You know what? I'm going to be a slut. I'm going to show him that I can fuck whoever I want. A quick content warning. This episode contains multiple references to recreational drug use and a couple of loving and empowered uses of the F slur. They come from someone who has reclaimed the word, but I know not everyone is comfortable with it, and I don't want stroppy emails. I could have beeped it, but that would, for me, undermine its joyful and shame-free use. So, I chose not to. Just as you are now free to choose not to listen if you don't want to hear it. I hope you will listen, though, because Johnny is a fantastic storyteller. Speaking of, the Patreon version of this episode features a whopping 20 additional minutes of chat. You can find that, as always, at patreon.com forward slash probably true, along with all of the other bonus material that was in all of the other episodes. Also, just a little apology for any issues with sound quality. Johnny's voice is just too deep and rich to be easily captured by mortal means. I hope you enjoy it anyway. Let's go! This is Probably True, stories of queer life and even queerer sex. Please be aware that this podcast contains strong language and adult themes. It would be boring without them. I was born in Brooklyn in New York. And then when I was eight, I moved to Thailand. And then I moved to Egypt when I was uh, 13. So I was in Egypt when I really was realizing that I was gay in about eighth grade. And so not only was there no gay people around, but I was in like a Muslim country where being gay was like a mega sin. That was like 1988. There was nothing to make me feel okay about being gay or even, you know, know how to address it. So I definitely spent all my time in high school with like the fear of gayness. I had girlfriends, but like really it was like sort of a thing always in the back of your head that you're trying to push down, push down. Now, there were plenty of clues around, sweetie, that I was gay. There were pictures of ladies on my wall, but they were the Golden Girls and like Elizabeth Taylor in her White Diamonds commercial. So it was very clear if you were to go back in a time machine and look at a magnifying glass at me that this six foot tall rat tailed sweetie pie was a homosexual. Of course, I was a theater queen. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a star. And so I, when I graduated, I went straight into a conservatory program for acting at Boston University. So I go to, to acting school where I'm surrounded by gay people. And the first two years still was like, I'm straight. And the great thing about acting school is, though, that everyone assumed you were gay anyway. So by the time I got into the place where I was 
ready to do gay stuff. Everybody thought I was gay anyway, so it didn't really matter. And I think the first time that it really went down was like there was a guy in my acting class. Of course, I was cast in a scene of two gay lovers, and it was an intimate scene where we started off like in bed together and whatever. Of course, the acting teacher who was like, yeah, this faggot should do this scene where he's gay. (laughs) I'm like, I'm straight in my mind. And like that was very erotic for me because I was like the guy I was doing a scene with was hot. He was out. He was gay. We had to start the scene and wrapped in each other's arms. And it was with that guy that I did start to do some gay stuff later on. And that was sort of the impetus to that. That scene sort of helped me bridge the gap. This wasn't on stage. You didn't just get carried away in the moment and end up shagging him on stage in front of the audience when you should have been acting. No, but they what a statement that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> just 20 minutes of hardcore banging and then, oh shit, yeah, I'd start the script, yeah. Was it not incredible, this performance? <laughs> so by the time acting school is done, I am ready to come out and be bisexual for a month and then finally after that be out and gay not to have any bi erasure there are bisexual people uh read the disclaimer we've already checked the box and we respect that but yes bi island was a safe stopover to the continent of homosexuality for many people uh in my generation and before it was a safe space to be like, I think I like guys, but I'm in my mind, marry a lady. I mean, who knows? I'm not anything yet. But the thing was, once I actually started having sex with guys, that was the moment I was like, oh, what have I been so worried about? Yes, I'm gay. I'm definitely gay. When the physical started to come in and I actually had sex with someone I was really into, I was like, yes, I am gay. I am gay. Bisexual island. Be gone. I am going to the continent of homosexuality and I'm going to live there proudly. They stamped my gay visa. The stamp had glitter and dick outlines and it was all ready to go. (laughs) After acting school, I moved to New York City with my best friend named Maxine, who was uh, my best my best girlfriend from the dorms. She was a, a heavy set, beautiful black woman. We would go to the movies together. She wanted to go to New York City and work in commercial graphic design. And we, I was going to act and we were living together in New York, best friends, which is the best way to move to a big city where you don't really know anybody. If you have that one full on best city, that is the way to do it. So we lived in all sorts of weird places, but we finally eventually settled into an apartment on East 6th Street in the East Village. Now, if you were trying to get this apartment today, it would cost you probably $4,000, okay? Because it is prime real estate. Suddenly, we were in the middle of everything. And we had a couple rotating roommate slots, but no one that ever really clicked with us and stayed for a long time. But one day when we were looking for a new roommate, a guy answered an ad and said he was in town with his mom and they were trying to find him an apartment. And could they come by and interview with us? So this guy came by. He was super cute. He had long hair, kind of dressed like a raver. He was from Tennessee and he was going to cooking school. 
and you know, who was super friendly and we really liked him. And we said, yeah, great, move in. Now, what good luck for this young man to arrive in New York and find an apartment the same day. Not really something that happens very often, but we really got along with him. He was really nice, really fun. Now, me and Maxine, though we were here in the middle of New York City, we were kind of like goody two shoes in many different ways. I had hooked up with guys, but I certainly wasn't like somebody at that time who was having random hookups or going to the bars. At that time, I think I thought to myself, I'm not like that. That's not me. I want someone to like me for my personality. And though I was probably looking very fresh and beautiful, there was no grinder or anything else for me to have anonymous strangers send me messages and be like, you're hot. So I really was coming from a childhood where I was kind of like overweight and goofy. And so even though I had transformed in college into the sort of golden haired, six foot three, lean and tall person, I had not a clue. I still felt fat at the time. You know what I mean? I had that gay body dysmorphia and I was definitely not appreciating that. I was performing at that time on the Lower East Side and doing open mics with all these sort of weird poets and strippers and just a whole world downtown at that time below Houston Street. It was an incredible scene. And I was one of the only gay people really in the scene, but they embraced me. I was not into the gay nightlife scene really at all. I'd gone to gay bars here and there, but it wasn't really my thing. Now, Ryan, who was our new roommate, Ryan had come out when he was 14 years old He had been like sexually active and partying all through his teen years. So he was very different from me and Maxine. And so one night he went out to the limelight and he brought home another person from Tennessee who now is still a really good friend of mine who lives down the block to this day. They ended up hooking up. And so we all started to become friends. They both were like, you guys should come out to the club with us. Now, Ryan... Ryan was a self-described slut. You know, he liked to fuck lots of people. He was really cute. He slept with lots of different people who started to come into our universe. We started to go out to clubs. I'm trying to think of like what the first club that we all went to as a group and did Molly for the first time. Well, whatever it was, it's a little hazy. It was incredible. We had an incredible time. We had an amazing time. Oh, you know where it was? It was another person that Ryan has slept with was a a Pakistani club queen named Faraz, who was in the scene. Okay. And so we were told that we could come to Twilo, which was the, the hot late, late Saturday night party that Junior Vasquez would spin at. And if we went up there, Faraz could get us into the VIP. We So this opened up a whole world of life to me. We were going to the Tunnel, Roxy, Twilo, Limelight. There was a door person at the door. Uh, who are you with? How many? Uh-huh. It's not tonight, sweetie. Not tonight, darling. I'm sorry. It's not going to work tonight. But thanks to Ryan sleeping with them, we were able to slip in to all the coolest places. So Ryan's dick and ass were pretty much your pass. Yeah, that's how we first started to get into the thing. So thank (laughs) you to him. Clubland was a big inspiration for me. Like I said, I was doing these one-man shows 
But as I started going to these clubs, I started incorporating all of what I was seeing and experiencing into the shows. So suddenly the characters were having runway battles at Twilo in the shows. So it was not only informing my creativity, I was discovering drag queens for the first time. Kevin Aviant, who has recently had a mega comeback being sampled on uh, Beyonce's Pure Honey. He was kind of like the ultimate star of these nights. And if those listening don't know, he's the one who says, cut, T, cut, T, cut, T. <laughs> he would perform at both the Roxy and Twilo. And me on drugs for the first time would be like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. Maxine and I, a year or two later, we decided we were moving to Brooklyn. And again, if we want to get into the side tangent of the real estate that I was had access to that now would cost you a zillion dollars, we moved to Williamsburg into an entire floor-through apartment, which today probably costs $9,000 a month. Because in that neighborhood, which at that time was a bad, in quotes, and dangerous neighborhood, now is the hipsterist, whitest, gentrified neighborhood with vegan delis, vegan coffee shops, and uh, vinyl record stores. But at the time, it was a little bit rough. We moved to that apartment. Ryan ended up moving to some other situation. I'm not exactly sure. He was going to culinary school. He was working at restaurants. He was doing his thing. I was performing. Maxine was going to NYU. And the whole relationship was all very friendly. And we were just good, really good friends. I was looking good. I was finally appreciating how I looked. But I was still like, I'm, you know, I'm not like a hookup type person. I just want a boyfriend. Maybe one day I'll get a boyfriend. I just want a boyfriend. I didn't have the experience to know what the fuck I wanted or like. And again, you're dealing with at that at that age, especially in that time, like, all the things that you've thought about yourself or gayness or sexuality, it takes a long time sometimes to shuffle off all of the expectations that you've had your whole life. So while I was certainly not a virgin, I definitely was hooking up with guys. I wasn't like going to the bars and meeting guys all the time. It was more like if I met somebody I that we had chemistry at a party or something like that, maybe something would happen. So when we moved to Brooklyn, we hadn't seen Ryan for a while. and he started coming back around and hanging out and we had a very sweet relationship as friends. I was like, I'm not that type of guy like him. He would never be interested in me. We started to get like a very snuggly vibe when he would come over and eventually, and I can't remember exactly how it happened, but eventually we had sex and (gasps) he let me know that he was into me Like he was into me. I remember him saying to me, like, you're like the perfect guy. Like you're who I want to be with at that time. Like no one had ever said anything like that to me and certainly not someone who was so kind of sexually advanced and had had so much experience. So it was like the hit of first fucking love, like hardcore love songs on the radio about falling in love suddenly i was like i get it i understand i think we we dated but but he never left he moved back in with me into my room and started staying there and we were dating and living together right away and it was really like there was a moment where i was so just deep 
in it in a way that I had never experienced before in my life. Now, Ryan was, you know, a little bit of a hothead. He was, you know, Southern accent and you kind of tamper and the details are fuzzy, but I'd say like by about month five or so, maybe tensions were a little higher in the relationship. I came home one night and Ryan was in my room and he was emotionally cold and he was like, I've decided I've I've got to move out. I want to break up. I I can't do this anymore. I, I think I need to go. And then he just left without any kind of conversation. Now, honey, I was shattered. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Like shattered. Now, at the time, my day job was as a nanny to two children, very rich family who lived on the Lower East Side, but who went to a private Hebrew school on the Upper West Side. And my job was to pick them up at 3 p.m., take them in a cab down to the Lower East Side hang out till six and then I would leave. So that was my job. So the next day I had to, I was in shock. I had never been broken up with like that before. And I remember like calling Maxine on the way home, like with the kids in the back of the taxi and crying about a breakup. And the kids are like, what's wrong? Like nothing, nothing's wrong. (laughs) Oh, and so poor, poor me at that time, I just was beside myself and we never really had a conversation. It was so fast. There was no closure, no anything, not even really explanation. It was just like, I've got to go. And so this was especially difficult for me. Now, the person that was still friends with both of us was the first friend he brought home when he went out to the club for the first time we became part of our crew. And so he was still friends with both of us. Now, I was so crazy about this situation that I wanted to like forget about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a slut. I'm going to show him that I can fuck whoever I want. 
And I made Maxine, I think, take me to the cop. It was the greatest gay bar that ever was. There's a version of it still in New York. It's still my favorite gay bar. It is called The Cock. It's a very cruisy vibe. It had a back room. And I had maybe been there once or twice, but I was like, now that I'm a slut, I'm going to go to The Cock. Maxine, you're going to come with me. Through the tears, I'm like, I'm going to fuck somebody. And so I remember Maxine took me to The Cock, and eventually I did find some random hot guy who I went home with and had like my first pickup from a bar, just go fuck type of situation. And what I, of course, then did was called up our mutual friend, Crunk, to tell him all the details of everything that happened so that he would then tell Ryan everything (laughs) that I had done. I was on my way. There wasn't Grindr. There wasn't anything. You have to actually go meet people and hook up with them. But I started to go on a motherfucking mission to just... Fuck my way out of the pain. I was smoking more Newport cigarettes than ever before. I was hitting the gay bars. I was fucking whoever. I was trying to prove that I didn't need him. And I want to let him know that I was sexy and I was viable. And I didn't need him at all. Now, at the same time, was even more of a transformation in myself physically. I was looking better than ever. And I was started to play around with this character of the gay pimp, which was at the time kind of just like a cheap joke because I was performing in Lower East Side theaters where it was all like weird, straight stand-up comic type of bros. I would do a lot of stuff that was very in your face. Like someone called you a faggot. What do you do? You say, that's right. I'm a faggot. And I fucked your daddy up the ass. Like that was the 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 angle that I was coming at at that point. I started to develop this character because at the even though I was depressed about Ryan, I was feeling better about myself than I ever had. I was looking better and leaner and more muscly than I ever had. And I was writing songs that eventually became sort of viral hits for me. Soccer practice and looking cute, feeling cute, looking cute, feeling cute was really the anthem of me finally feeling good about myself and my sexuality. And it's the song that goes, you're gay. It's okay. It's a prison from Jesus every day. You get to have sex both ways. People, they're just jealous of you. You're looking cute and feeling cute. So I was sort of like becoming, developing this character and wanting to do it. And part of the motivation for wanting to do this was that I could send in these pictures of myself surrounded by the first go-go boys that I ever worked with with my shirtless backup dancers or who who would pose with me in the photos. I wore a shirt that said gay pimp and I sent them to all the gay magazines. There was two magazines that were free on the corner. So there was HX and Next Magazine. They were little sort of digest style magazines, but to be on the cover was a huge deal. If you got a listing for your party or your show in the listings, you can guarantee people were actually going to come because that was how everybody found out about stuff. 
I was just pushing this image of gay pimp with me surrounded by shirtless guys, being sexy, singing songs like girl, I fucked your boyfriend. And underneath it all, it was really still for at least a year after the breakup. It was still me trying to get over the breakup and trying to subliminally send a message to Brian that I was sexy and everybody wanted me. And you should be sorry that you lost your chance with me. Now, if I, if I had never had that crazy breakup with him, which is not a crazy breakup at all. I mean, we dated for six months and we were like 25 years old. It shouldn't have been that crazy, but it was that motivation of trying to prove something subliminally to him was one of the reasons I started to cultivate this image for the character of gay pimp, who was very like powerful. He was bending over the straight guys. He was telling people that, you know, that he was a faggot and he was going to fuck their daddy up their ass. That all was happening. And the way I was pushing, it was all to send this message to this person who I was trying to prove something to. And it, without that, I don't know whether I would have been so obsessed with what the presentation was and what that character was, which was this very sexually advanced type character. And the character, when I did that character, I even spoke with a, like kind of a Southern accent like him. It was like I was trying to be him. It took me many years to kind of pull that all apart. But if it hadn't been for that breakup and for that inspiration, that character might not have ever happened. Eventually, I was discovered doing a show called Dirty Gay Teen Pop Superstars, uh, which was like a gay pimp review by a Broadway producer who said, well, what do you want to do with this? And I said, I had just seen a music video Kevin Aviance had done. And I said, well, I want to make a music video. Now, this is before YouTube. It was before. I, I didn't know where the fuck I thought this music video was going to go. But we met a cool director named Peter Martinez. We collaborated on this music video. And that then really changed my entire life. Suddenly, that video started getting shared. At the time, there was the internet, honey, but I barely checked my email. But that song became huge online. It was downloaded from my website 3 million times. It started getting played on MTV Europe, MTV Asia. And if you watch that video, I'm at my stick thinnest. I'm wearing rhinestone jeans, smoking a cigarette, glasses, surrounded by soccer player boys and drag queen cheerleaders. It's a very gay alpha type of situation. And I think that that was really one of the first music videos that did put that image out there. Before Little Nas X was dancing naked in the shower, honey, I was doing it in 2003, okay? And that video hit a nerve. What I was feeling about myself and wanting to empower myself as a gay guy and wanting to feel not less than straight people, because the whole idea of the song Soccer Practice was that it was a twist on everything that was straight and making it all sort of an analogy for gay sex. So soccer practice with the water polo team, do so track and field on the football grain. Go to the locker room, do some weight training, do that will be real hot if we join the army. That was a moment. And like people still to this day tell me how much that affected them and inspired them. And all of that happened because I was trying to prove to some boy I dated for six months that I was worthy and sexy and viable. <laughs>
Oh, so without that experience, I might not have ever had that big break or had the artistic urge to create that character without that experience from Ryan. It was one of the first music videos I saw that was like so explicitly gay and unashamed and proud and out there and amazing. It was very empowering. And I'm sure there must have been lots of other people like me who were like, hey, wow, it's not just doing the girl parts in straight love songs and so that you can sing about a boy. And it doesn't have to be about love songs. It can just be about banging hot guys. Yeah, yeah. I traveled and performed and made music videos up until about 2010, doing gay pimp pretty much full time, traveling with dancers and making super groups. Maxine and I ended up touring the country as part of my group team pimp. And the funny thing is, is like I stayed very close with a lot of those people from my early days in Clubland. They all became my inspiration and became part of those videos. So I can look back on those videos and see all the people that really were my inspiration before any of that was happening. So that's really cool. And I'm very good friends with Kevin Aviance these days. Other than Ryan, who I haven't seen in very many years, everybody from my life at that time is still pretty much connected to me now and remains inspirational and motivational to me. That was going to be my next question. Did Ryan see it? Did he hear it? Did he want you back? I, you know what? I don't know. I think I saw him again one time at a bar and I was wasted, I think. And (laughs) she apologized for like leaving the way he did. And I was like, okay, no big deal. And then I went, oh, but then I don't, I don't know what he ever thought of it. To be honest, like I only actually have good memories of that now. And as we hear from today's story, All of it was meant to be like all that shit, all the tears, all the smoking a million packs of Newports, the fucking a zillion guys. Now I love to fuck a zillion guys. So, and I love to call my friends on the phone, the same ones and tell them all about it after. So that led me into finding really more who I was and what I actually liked. And it was an experience that was important for me. So honey, you're going to go through a lot of heartache and pain, but you never know when it's going to turn you into an underground gay pop superstar by accident. The tale is old and five. <laughs> so when you were running around fucking all these guys and showing him the how great and sexy and, and sexually advanced you were, were you enjoying it? Or was it just to show to him? I just had this image of you like holding back the tears and just kind of gritting your teeth and just just content, just getting through it and just kind of crying into a pillow over Ryan while someone else is doing their best. Mm. Nah, it definitely was. It definitely wasn't like that. I, I would say it was more like it was a, maybe at the very beginning, like that first night was a little bit like that. But eventually, I just like, oh wow, this is interesting. This is yeah, I want the oh yeah, they oh that's cool. Wow, I don't think it was lust motivated for a while. I hadn't had sex with lots of strangers before. So it was a new experience. Forcing myself into those situations to prove something did open that world up to me. And just like it did when I had sex with a guy for the first time, and I was like, oh, being gay is okay. I was like, oh, yeah, this is fun. It's fun to have sex with lots of different people and to experience uh, the eroticism of, you know, knowing who you are sexually and what you want to do and what you like and experiencing all of it. They definitely liked it. (laughs) 
I, I think eventually I started to uh, get into it and get into myself as a sexual person and really discover what I like. Cause I think a lot of my early sex was like, I'm happy to be doing this. This is what I've seen in pornography. This is sex. But you know, it wasn't until later that I became a true artist. From there, I ended up working in nightlife, throwing parties. So I really became all the things that I had started to experience that in that nightlife world. I then went very deep and became an underground pop star who also threw parties. And I spent a good five or six years living in that world. And, you know, it, it, it inspires me until today, obviously. Would you change any of it now, looking back? I mean, obviously, that's a very silly question, because if you changed it, you wouldn't be who you are. A more solid question would kind of be something about regretting any of it. But it doesn't sound like it, it seems a very positive and very uplifting story of transformation and, and turning pain into something beautiful. I mean, of course, I would have loved to have been in a situation where I could have come out younger and had a relationship in my teens and sort of not had to shove it all into your early 20s which happens to so many gay guys, maybe not as much today, but like certainly from the last couple generations, like, you know, uh, you didn't get to even experience puppy love or love or holding hands with somebody till you were pretty much an adult. And, you know, that was definitely something I had wished that I had been able to experience, but it is what it is. At least I think the, 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 the children today have an easier. I wish there had been grinder during that because I look back at good pictures of myself from then and I'm like, you were fucking hot. You were a hot twink. But like, say when I was in college or like any of those other times when I look back and I'm like, you, your body was snatched. You were six foot three. You could have been doing it and doing it good and it, loving it. But you know, that it is what it is. That's who I am today, honey. That it's all from all those different transformations and journeys through internalized homophobia to full-on faggotry look at you now not just faggotry but like the queen of faggotry you're welcome everyone you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) i don't know whether you would have even noticed them at the time but were there any opportunities for romance or for something more or were you just absolutely not into that so if someone was kind of hey let's let's get dinner sometime or let's have a cuddle after the sex or whatever and would you just be like, yeah, no, bye. Oh, no, I was constantly, I was still definitely searching for love, even through all of those encounters with, with whoever. Like, you always felt like, maybe he'll want to see me again. Maybe this will be the one. Eventually, I I'd met several other boyfriends. But it was several years of, like, just being single and experiencing, like, everything that the gay under underworld of New York had to offer. Sounds so much fun. Let's put a nice bow on this. Okay. From your transformative years of turning pain and revenge into beauty and success and authenticity, what's your moral for people? What's the takeaway? I mean, it's it's kind of a little bit, you're basic. Because it's like <laughs> all the shit that you go through is may lead you to the place that you were meant to be all the time. And that maybe what becomes your greatest triumph comes out of your most at the moment, heartbreaking time, and it can lead you to something else. And also, you know, you might love being a slut. Just think of that if you're not sure. <laughs> Give it a go. Suck some dick. See how you feel. <laughs> exactly. One has to figure out all of the joys of gay sex to figure out what you are anyway. So you might as well try it all. 
sometimes you just have to accept that you're doing dumb shit or you're in a dumb situation or you're over heartbroken about somebody who maybe you didn't need to be, but you never, you know, you, it could lead you to the next thing, which will turn you into a, a gay pop star celebrated around the world. And think of all the joy you brought to all those people with your, with your performances and your videos and, and, the gay pimp and the team pimp. Yeah. The whole of team pimp, not just for how, uh, how much this breakup positively affected your life, but how this breakup has seen such positive change for so many people around the world. Exactly. Hearts and flowers and stamp it with a dick stamp, put in the glitter, just like on the gay visa. And Ryan, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, because I'm sure you must be a listener. See what you did? You don't get any credit or any kind of like financial reward for that, but Johnny did okay. Yeah. I should thank him. I mean, it was the inspiration for so much. I did an impersonation of him for years, though, so, you know. And sometimes we need that. We need someone to aspire towards, someone to look at and go, I want to be more like that. You took your broken heart and turned it into an extremely successful career. That's amazing. That's some share level thinking right there. That's what she does. Exactly. All you have to do is keep reinventing yourself for the next 300 years and you'll be on about the same level. Yeah, that is what I've had to do. And you know what? Still, still going. Still got it. Still got <laughs> it going on now. Yeah, you have. Let's pay some bills. What do you want to plug? What, what are you selling? If you want to hear more from me, I do podcasts on my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash gayest of all time. I do up to three a week. If you're on the highest sissy bestie level, you can check out my TV show on out TV, which is called go, go for the gold, which is the search for America's number one champion. Go, go superstar star. You have to say the entire full inappropriately named name. And we do it through the entire series. Only one of you can be America's number one champion, go-go superstar, star. And then there's a little ding every single time. The show is really fun. We're in season two, 12 go-go boys of different body types. We have trans contestant. We have big boy, little boy. We have twinks. We have daddies. They are all competing to become America's number one champion, go-go superstar, star in challenges that are based on what go-go boys have to do. Lab dances, stripper pole, straight up go-go dancing, music video challenges. They have to do dance in heels for drag queen tipping audiences. It's a huge, they're judged by a panel of the go-go gods who are all a go-go legends. And the show is really fun. It's has a wink and a sense of humor, but honey, the, Boys are serious about winning that title. So there's also drama, there's looks, there's moves. It's great. In the States, you can, and in Canada, you can get it on Apple TV via the Out TV app. In the UK, it's on Fruit TV. And of course, you can watch all my eight years of Hey Queen on the Hey Queen channel on YouTube. There's some new exciting projects coming out with that that are still top secret. And if you want to see the videos that I was talking about, you can check out those on YouTube, the Johnny McGovern Show YouTube channel, Soccer Practice, Looking Cute, Feeling Cute. And, you know, the wildest thing happened to me last year, a 10-year-old song of mine. Well, the first seven seconds of that song go like this. This goes to the strippers and the fucking porn stars and the sexy motherfuckers doing shit on the bar 
that became a hit TikTok sound last year and turned that song into a 17 million stream song on Spotify. So all these years later, suddenly I'm back being a pop star with millions of people listening to the gayest, dirtiest song that I've ever done. Thank you, gay Jesus. I'm on Instagram at Johnny McGovern is your daddy. That was Probably True, the multi-award winning storytelling podcast created to remind all of our queer siblings that we are none of us alone. If you like what you heard and you want me to keep doing it, you can support the show at patreon.com forward slash probably true. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.